we've been going through this foundation series at City Lights, and uh, last week was baptism, and today is communion. So they're two very like familiar things to a church. And like, last week, Jesse was saying like, we sort of failed here at like doing baptisms all the time. We didn't really teach on it. We sort of didn't do it regularly. And this week, we're talking about communion, which I think is sort of the opposite, but not. We do it all the time. It's the second Sunday of every month, usually. But where we fail at and where I fail at here is realizing the importance of communion. Like, it's just become such a tradition in the church we don't realize, like, the sacredness of it, and we just do it to do it. It's almost like a religious act. So today, I want to challenge us on that. And if you don't realize, if you've been here for more than two years, I actually preached on communion uh, about two years ago. And my first thought was, well, I can take out my old notes And I can just like write some new thoughts in, make it relevant for right now, and then do that. And then in praying and like seeking out the Bible, like I found this totally different perspective on it. I love this word, and that's a mini sermon. This thing comes alive to me every time, and you can preach communion all you want, and it will become new every time. I'm so thankful for that. So if you don't mind, let's pray today uh, before we go into the word. Lord, I'm so thankful today uh, just for who you are and your goodness, God. We sang about you being so good to us, Lord. I'm so thankful for being new and being a living God where things jump out to us differently each time, God. I'm so grateful for who you are and what you're doing in this church. Bless this message today, God. Take me out of the equation, Lord. Just let you speak to this crowd. Amen. So the majority of time on communion... Uh, when it's preached, even like in my research of this, like some videos I've watched, people automatically go to Paul's account of communion in 1 Corinthians, and that's where I preached from last time. I want to briefly just talk through it again really quick because there's important things in there, but that's not where I want to focus my message, but I feel like it's an important thing to read. So when Paul did it, he was basically reprimanding the Corinthians for the way they were doing communion. And I mentioned the last time, back then, communion was more of a meal. It wasn't Sunday morning like we think of it today. It was a meal throughout the week called an agape meal, a love meal. And in the midst of that, they would break bread and drink wine. And I love that about it. There's some few things that are good about the way they did it. One, we get church out of the equation. And it becomes more communal and relational. I love that, uh, that fact about it. And it was a celebration, which... We think of like communion as is like sacred. We all come down, we drink it. They were celebrating that time. Now, they were doing some things bad. <laughs> One of them was, because it was a meal, they would separate the poor people and the rich people, and the rich people would all eat first and then sort of give the rest to the poor people. And Paul's like, do you guys not realize what communion's about, like what Jesus came and did? And they're like, no. And so people were going home hungry, and the rich people were actually eating so much, some of them died. Like, they were gorging themselves. Paul's like, you guys have died because of this. And, like, some people think that's a spiritual thing. I agree with both. Spiritual and they're just eating so much, they just died. And he's like, guys, we can't forget about the poor. We can't forget about the broken. That's why Jesus came. And I love, like, imagine this being a meal. This is what I thought of, like, if this table today just wasn't bread and grape juice now, uh, but it was, like, beef brisket, fried chicken, like, all immense. And after service, we all came and ate. And then in the midst of that, we took the bread and wine. I love that. And that's what home groups sort of are. I encourage you to sign up for one. It's more, it's community-based. We've, we've made Christianity this Sunday morning thing, and it's not. It's the complete opposite of that. It's life with people. And so that's the th- few things I loved about that, but they're still doing the things bad, and Paul had to work them through that. 
But the gist of Paul's message, and the gist of what I preached that day was, Christ displayed love to us. That was communion. That was his remembrance of communion. So then we go and display love to other people. And so on that basis of that, I want to read from Luke 22. Uh, I'm going to let you guys get there and take a sip of water. No crowd. Re- Let's, I'm going to make your crowd respond and say, when you get there, say amen. Or it will be on the screen, but I encourage you to turn to that Bible in front of you. So most of the time, like I said, when we do communion here, we usually pull up the First Corinthians account as well. But I want to look at Jesus' account of it, like the actual account that Luke wrote down what happened that night, and go through that a little bit, and then go into something else. So starting at verse 14. And when the hour had came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke the bread and gave it to him, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the cup he had eaten, and he said, This cup is poured out for you, the new covenant in my blood. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is on the table. And I'm not going to read the rest of that. But he's saying, Hey, Judas is here too, guys. And it's funny how they still don't get it. I love that about the disciples. We'll get into that. But I want to briefly mention, like when we just go from Corinthians, and this could be a whole sermon itself, but I limited it to a paragraph on my notes, is that we miss the fact that this is Passover. Like Paul doesn't mention that in his, when he recounts it, but they're celebrating Passover right now, so what's Passover? It's a feast, and it's a, it's a I think it's two weeks, or a week long, seven days thing, but they have a Passover meal for two nights. And so Jesus, and some people think and this is, a, you can research into that. Some people are like, well, he took the third cup. He interrupted the third cup. So the fourth cup is the cup of sacrifice and all this stuff. But in Luke's account, he stops and says, I can't eat this meal with you guys. And so he literally stops their Passover Seder. Why? Because he's saying, guys, the Passover, what we're celebrating right now, that we saved you, that you're remembering God saving the Israelites from slavery, from bondage in Egypt. I'm now the new Passover. And I'm now saving you from the bondage and slavery of sin. And right now it's gone from old covenant, that thinking, to new covenant, my thinking, you're free. And he literally interrupts the thing they've been doing for years and, say, and says, this is a new day. You're now free from sin. If that doesn't preach today, I don't know what will in this crowd, but like, he's basically saying the rescue's happened. It's done. It's now. It's forever. I'm the new Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb. I've come. I've shown love, forgiveness, and now you're free. And we missed that just reading from Paul because he it literally interrupts a celebration they didn't do for years and saying this is not the way anymore. And so included in that is their way of the old covenant, which last time I preached, I mentioned this, like no more sacrifices, no more working up to something. He's like, I'm taking this, and I love this phrase, and this was going to be the title of my sermon before I took it a completely opposite direction. He took it from the temple mindset to the table mindset. And he said that you don't have to do it the temple way anymore. I didn't come back to a temple I came to a table relationally, and you're free now because of what I've done. But that's not what I'm focusing on today either. I just wanted to mention that because I think it preaches. <laughs> but so I'm checking the time here. I always forget to check the time when I preach, and now I know. So 
Today I want to focus on one phrase in this, when he says, do this in remembrance of me. And we automatically think of when he says that, we, we think he means his death, which yes, he does mean his death, but at the time he hadn't died yet. So when the disciples heard, do this in remembrance of me, they're thinking, they still were clueless about his death. You can even see that in the next, in like the section down, after he tells about a betrayer and everything and talks about his death the previous chapter, they're like, hey, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in your physical kingdom? They weren't talking about a spiritual kingdom. They're like, who's going to be the greatest? And he's like, oh. Like if Jesus knew the smack my head like meme or whatever that is, emoji, he would have done it. Because he's like, I can't believe they still don't get it. They're arguing about this. And he's like, oh, a servant will. And they're like, oh, darn. But he also reassures them they will be the great. They'll be up there on thrones with him in, king, in his kingdom. It's just not what it looks like. So I love that about Jesus corrects and then reaffirms them. But when we hear that today, do this and remember it's me, we automatically go, okay, it's death. I get that. And we're missing so much more. I think he also wanted them to remember who he was, the way he lived his life, the way he loved people, the things he had done, the healings that they had seen. And so... Today, I want to challenge us to remember that as well. I think lots of times we get caught up in life that we forget who Jesus is. And I love the fact that in his disciples, like messing up and like thinking that this kingdom, a physical kingdom was coming, I love Jesus was the complete opposite of what people wanted that day. And I love that about it. I think it's kind of comical at the same time. That like, and then the fact that he like tried to tell them over and over and over again. And they're like, so your kingdom's coming When? And so the people wanted this king, they wanted a political regime, they wanted to overthrow Rome, and he came not on a war horse, he came on a donkey as a humble, loving servant. And if that didn't offend people back then, they were like waiting for someone to overthrow. They misunderstood the whole time. In fact, if you look back, when he first comes back to his hometown to preach, he reached from Isaiah, and the verse he reads, if you actually read Isaiah, he actually leaves out the last line of that verse. So he ends with, this is the year of jubilation, like the year of the Lord. He leaves out the line, which the Jewish people were expecting. When they heard of Messiah, they were thinking political and like overthrowing something. He left out the line, and the day of God's vengeance. And Nazareth freaked out on him. Never mind, you're just a carpenter's son. And so the whole time they're waiting for this king, and he's saying, I'm not a king in the sense you think I'm a king. And so he came showing love. And then the religious leaders of that day wanted some self-righteous, judging, sin-judging person. And Jesus came instead, eating with sinners, eating with tax collectors, going and meeting with the poor, the downcast, healing on the Sabbath, hugging lepers. And they're like, this is not what we expected. We wanted someone to tell us how good we were doing. And so when he's saying, remember me there, he wants them to remember all of him, not just the death. He was saying, remember what I came for. And so today I want to take us back and remember who Christ was and still is today and then circle back around, back to why it's important during communion to remember that. So this actually, that account of the Lord's Supper isn't the first time Jesus mentions his body and blood. Uh, he mentions this in John, and we're going to turn there. It's John 6. And it's funny because in John 6, when we get to it, like he mentions it for, 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 uh, for the first time and people are like, sort of like get nervous about it. And then in the other Gospels, they don't lead up to it with this. And so when he says it in like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they sort of just go into it. And back then, 
for Jesus to say, eat my body and drink my, flat, or drink my blood, they're like, that's crazy. But John actually explains when he first mentions it and what happens when he mentions it. So let's read. Uh, we're going to start. This is right after. In fact, Jesse, uh, in between worship verses, sort of line up with this. It's around the same time period. Jesus walks on water. John doesn't go into Peter about it. But, uh, so Jesus just fed the 5,000. And we're going to start in verse 15 and jump down really quick. So verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountains by himself. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and they're like, let's make this guy our king. He just fed us, and he's like, this is not what I want. So he goes to the mountains by himself. The disciples leave and go across the lake. And Jesus looks and goes, how am I getting across this lake without all these people knowing that I got in a boat? And he just walks across the water. And in that, calms the storm. In that, makes Peter walk on water with him. And so, let's skip down to 22. And so, people wake up and realize, Jesus is not there. And so, we're actually going to do 25. So, they find him. When they found him on the other side of the sea and said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? Which is, I love this crowd. I see myself in this crowd. They're like, okay, okay, what sign do you do then? If you're sent, we want the sign again. He says, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So once again, the crowd's like, we're hungry. And rightfully so. If you don't, I looked into this, and back then, they were getting taxed almost 90% of their stuff. And so when Jesus fed the 5,000, it just wasn't he was performing a miracle. He looked out with compassion and said, these people are hungry. And so he gave them the bread. So there's a, a reason he fed them. But then they're like, let's make this guy king because he can feed us. And I love that because I'd be the crowd too. The whole time, they're like trying to trick him into just giving him more bread. Like they're like, he's like, you're seeking the bread, not a sign. So like, give us a sign. He's like, no, like I am the sign. They're like, well, give us that bread always then. So the whole time they're like, we're hungry and rightfully so. Give us bread. And we want to make you a king. We want to make this your thing that you just feed us. And that's enough to make you king, which is hilarious to me, because I'd be the same guy trying to get Jesus to make me bread. And so, the line before that, in verse 15, you see they try to take him, like Jesus is worried after he feeds them, that they're going to take him with force and make him king. That's his main, he's like, I can't let these people do this, that's not why I'm here. And then if we skip down, I'm going to read it later, but we go to, when he basically says, I can't give you this bread, they once again discredit him and go, Wait, aren't you just that carpenter's son? And so their whole expectation of this guy being a king is now not there because he said, I can't, I'm not doing that. 
And they're like, okay, you're just that carpenter something. You're not our Messiah. And I want to ask today, and this is for myself too, whenever I preach, this whole sermon is me working through things on my own as well. I'm not just like, let me preach the city lights and like say they're doing this and this and this. This is for me as well. I want to ask today, what kind of box have we put Jesus in? Like what kind of systems are we trying to fit him in? What expectations do we have of him that aren't what he actually is? I'm going to give a really silly example. If you haven't noticed, I have a box up here. And I want to use a, this is a silly example, and I'm going to get into a serious one. So, this past, what was this past week? Super Bowl. And so, one of the biggest sporting events in America, not the world, Martin, America. I made sure to say that for him. It's not the world champions, you're the American champions of football. Congratulations, Eagles fans. Keep down. But, and this is just, I mean, this is a silly example. So the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, and even in the midst of the season, we start having this conversation. And, I'm, and this is a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. This conversation arose of like, okay, the Eagles have like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Christians on our team. And I call this the Jesus is the head coach or Super Bowl Jesus. This is the box we're putting him in. And like, okay, five Christians. They probably have more than that, and good for them. And then you have to add the Tim Tebow equation in. Oh, Tebow played there too. Good. We got Tebow. And that counts for a lot. So Jesus, because of that, they're going to win the Super Bowl. What if they lost? <laughs> Just say, what if they lost? And I'm pretty sure every team has a Christian on it. If you, even if you don't want to admit the Patriots have a Christian on their team. You can, I'll let you go that far. If you're in their division, you can say they're not Christians. But every team has one. And so what we do in, in this silly box, but it's true, though. These are real conversations I had over there at that water cooler. Like, okay, five Christians, six Christians, seven. Okay, they're good. They're going to win. Jesus did not care if they're going to win. And because that they won, though, and this is where it gets good, I'm so thankful for the outspoken faith of most of those Eagles players that in their winning, they can point everything to Christ. So I'm not saying their winning is bad. I'm saying because of that, People are like, oh, they're Christians. This is good. This is good. They're saying things. And then you get their, their center up there cursing up a storm. We're like, wait, are they Christians? So that's where, and this is a silly example, but that's where that mess comes in. That's where if you put Jesus to a guy who cares about football and they lose or they win and there's people cursing, there's not Christians on the team. My dad, who's not saved, would be like, Ben, this is pointless. Like, I can become a Christian, so Liverpool, go Liverpool, could win their soccer matches all the time. Like, it makes this unrealistic expectation, and I hope and I pray that if the Eagles had lost that game, they would have said the same things about Christ. But when we put Jesus into the head coach Jesus and they lose, it doesn't look good. And I know that's a silly example, but I have other examples of how we try to fit Jesus into our own systems, our own boxes. We have conservative Jesus. We have liberal Jesus. We have political Jesus. We have American Jesus. We have distant Jesus. We have rule keeper Jesus. We have genie in a bottle Jesus. We have Santa Claus Jesus who just gives us what we want. We have for good. We have denominational Jesus. We have our theological views only Jesus. That list could go on and on, and I'm guilty of half of those. Like when I was like a teenager, and I'm not even a teenager. When I was like 18, I started like really going into theology. I bought systematic theologies in the office, like going through things. I'm like, I'm a Calvinist. No one else is in. 
And God's been challenging me on that ever since. Because I can't make Jesus a Calvinist. He's Jesus. I can't make Jesus an Arminian. He's Jesus. I can't make Jesus Baptist. He's Jesus. I can't make him Catholic. He's Jesus. And so, like, half my youth was, like, fighting these things. Then one day, we're in this meeting, and people are arguing about things. And it hit me. Paul says, I just care about Jesus and Jesus crucified. And that's how I tried to end the argument. It did not end there. It kept going, and I'm like... But I tried to end it there. And so... Another way is when we grow up can define how we view Jesus. The way we grew up, our experiences, our fears define Jesus. Our expectations of what he can do define Jesus. So like, when there's sickness, like I box up Jesus all the time. When like there's a sickness in my family, oh, okay, Jesus, I guess you don't heal. When I lose a job, okay, Jesus, I guess you're not the monopoly man I thought you were. Just handing out money. And we, when those fail automatically we think Jesus failed. And that's why Jesus is telling this crowd over and over again, you can't trust in this bread. You can't trust in it. But I do know one thing about Jesus. There's one thing certain about him, is that he will not be domesticated. We can't. He will not be like a little dancing monkey that we have danced for us. Any attempt at this will fail, will be futile, it could be fatal. We cannot just mold Jesus in something. And we do it so well. We do. We're like, okay, Jesus must be this way. He can't save that person. The Pharisees were like, he can't save the tax collector. And that's why it was so offensive for Jesus to save Zacchaeus. That guy was taxing people 90% and then taking more just to steal it for himself. So when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today, people are like, he saves tax collectors? That's not fair. But then Jesus also takes compassion on the crowd and feeds them. That's Jesus. That's not a box of Jesus. That's conservative Jesus. That's liberal Jesus at the same time. I have an issue, I'm always like, and this is going to make me look, don't judge me politically, please, it's not political. My dad's from England. England is a socialist country. And so growing up, my dad, socialism, socialism. And I'm like, well, Jesus is a socialist then. And this is me just being arrogant in things. I'm like, well, Jesus is a, no, he's not that either, but he, he is though. We're missing the point if we want to box him up in some category. He is everything. He is everything. And we must accept him on his terms, not ours. And it's hard. I'm telling you, I have to debox Jesus every day. I have to, like, I'm reboxing. I work in a warehouse at work, so every day, like, I'm just making boxes and, like, putting shirts in them. Those eagle shirts, none of them. We printed eagle shirts. We were on the news. They didn't include me. I was disappointed. I was like, but I'm sitting here loading a truck up of eagle shirts. Ryan Leckie, why am I not on the news? But I make boxes all day. But spiritually, I make boxes all day, too. When my day at work's going bad, okay, Jesus, thanks. When like, and, like, so half my day is spending in building up boxes. The other half is spent tearing down those boxes. But the news I know, and, like, is that he is so much bigger than any box we can try to create for him. And so we're sitting there making these small boxes, and Jesus is like, I'm bigger than that. So why are we spending so much time protecting those boxes and building those boxes. I've been in so many arguments that are the dumbest things about the way I think Jesus acts. Or like, he can't do that, he can do this, he can do that. And we're protecting these things that God is just, and Jesus are just above. And yet we're sticking him in these boxes that don't matter. So in this box today, and this is like a last minute thing just to get people going, why is he a box on stage? There's nothing in there, it's just empty. So, because Jesus can't be held in there. 
he can't be. So, and like I said, the issue is, and the silly issue is when our sports teams fail, we're like, well, Jesus failed. But there's more serious ones when we struggle with poverty, when we struggle with money, when our family members get cancer, when we don't see healing, when we lose jobs, those things will always fail. And we can't associate Jesus failing as well. And so he is telling these people, stop it. If you just trust me for bread, that's going to fail. In fact, in the verses down, and we'll read a little bit of them, I'm going to jump around, but he basically says twice to the people there, he's like, you know that manna from heaven your forefathers ate? They died. And then at the end, he reminds them again, hey, those, that manna that filled them up, they still died. And he's just reminding them, don't trust in that. Yes, I give it to you. Yes, I fed you because I saw compassion on you, but you can't just look at me as a guy who gives you bread when you're hungry. I'm so much more than that. So let's keep reading right now. And then we're going to read John six thirty-five through 59. It's a long, long read. I might jump around in it a little bit, but let me know when you get there. It shouldn't be that long because we were just there. So this is right after they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life come down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? So right there, as Jesus is basically saying, You guys aren't getting that bread today, but I'm the bread. They're going, This can't be the guy then. This can't be our Messiah. So they're like, Wait a second, that, that's Mary and Joseph's son from Nazareth. We've been fooled. So Jesus answered them, Do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up on the last day. It is written as it is written in the prophets, and they will be all taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, and he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has external eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that we, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him from the life is the word, is my flesh. And the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this Man, give us his flesh to eat. So Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. 
And so this is where I want to turn it back towards communion. And it's just Jesus risked his whole ministry on that. If we look ahead, and Jesse mentioned like a few weeks ago, when Jesus said that, thousands of his followers were like, peace out. Like, to a Jewish person in that day, one, he wasn't giving them bread, so they're already mad. And two, they weren't allowed to eat like raw flesh. And they can't, couldn't drink blood. When they cooked meat, they had to drain the blood from meat and then cook it, which sounds like a terrible filet. It just does. It sounds like, I don't want that. And so when they said that, he knew what it would cost when he said that. But that is how important this saying that he is the bread of life is. It's worth him losing everybody. He even went to the 12 disciples and said, you guys want to leave as well? And they said no. But it's worth this. And the other week, two weeks ago, Mike and I went to the mall to like try to talk to people and pray with people. And Mike was trying to get people to let him buy him food, and they wouldn't. So I, like, walk over, and I see this guy sitting at a table. I was like, I'll talk to this guy. So I talked to this guy. His name is Joe. Bad decision on my behalf. It took the whole rest of the time, up 45 minutes. Uh, but one of Joe's points was if Jesus, his main goal was to tell this to everybody. If he had a megaphone that could reach the whole world, he would. And I'm like, no, Joe, he wants you. Like, he obviously didn't care about the crowds. He wants you. It was just funny, and then he got into this thing how Satan's from another planet, and he's winning, and I was like, what did I get myself into? And I challenged him to, like, find the real relational God, and he's like, I don't need that guy. What about those people over there? They might need him. I'm like, Joe, this is about you, and he wasn't getting it. But, like, it's obvious that Jesus didn't care about how many people were following. It's very obvious in the way he, like, tried to tell him, I'm going to die, and you have to be a servant that's very hard things to say to a crowd that, like, make us kings with you. And so I just want to stress that because it is so important to hear this today that he's the bread of life. He risked his whole f- following on this, and he even thought he might have risked the 12 disciples on it, even though he's Jesus, so he knew he wouldn't. But he, like, gave them the option out. This is worth it. And so they wanted a king to give him bread. They were offended by his statement, and they left him. We have so many preconceived ideas of Jesus, but if we really understood who he was, and that when he says he's the bread of life, and I love that line, you're not hunger and you won't thirst anymore. That's not physical. It could be. It's spiritual as well. But when we cling to Jesus, he's really all we need. And we're sitting here last night in, in our worship, and they opened up with the first song. It was, and if anything, like when I, make, when I work on sermons, I'm always doubting. I'm like, this can't be the Lord. <laughs> like, and this is a thing I have with myself. I'm working through it. I'm getting better. Last time when I spoke on communion, that was my first sermon here ever. Because I was so afraid because some guy heckled me once at the soup kitchen and he was crazy. <laughs> so, as I'm always in this moment of doubt. And we came here and, well, first I drive. I was working on it at Panera because Panera gave me a free coffee on my card. I was like, sweet, I can go to Panera and work on my sermon. I get back in the car and I think it's the Lauren Daigle song came on. Or it might not have been. One of the main girls that's on K-Love. And, like, the first line was, like, God, we can't box you in. And I was like, okay, God, something's happening here. And we get here last night, and I've already written all the boxing and stuff. I'm just trying to close out of it. And the first song we open up with is Christ is Enough. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, you are enough, God. When the bread fails, when the jobs fail, when the systems we put you in fails, when our political party fails, when America's not great again, when Europe's not great again, when North Korea is in power, whatever's going to happen, Lord, you still have to be enough to me. 
Like, if everything else fails, I need to make you enough. And that's what he's trying to portray to him. I'm the bread of life. I am enough. I am enough. And so we, we did a home group a long time ago when we first started. And the book was called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And, like, that title it just stuck out to me. It still sticks out to me. And I have a copy. I want us to read it. Uh, don't look up the author. He's going through some things right now. But read the book. It's a good book. Uh, but... Like, the title, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, is so hard for my materialistic, selfish, needy mindset to get that if everything was stripped away from me, it was just Jesus and nothing. Is that sufficient for me? And I'm challenging you today that it is, and Jesus challenged them today that it is. Back then, and he's still crying out, I'm the bread of life, stop looking for me in systems and and leaders, they're all going to fail cling to me. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. And I love another thing, which is like, thank God for John Piper. Because that quote, God's most glorified when I'm most satisfied in him, is one of like the biggest quotes to, to my life. Because God's not glorified if we're doing well and we're rich and we're not thinking about him. He's glorified if we're struggling and we're saying, God, you're so good. He's glorified when the eagles lose and they're still saying Christ is enough for us. That winning doesn't matter. That's when he's glorified. And I fail at that quote every day. When family members get cancer, when my job stinks, when, like I'm, when I, like I'm the only one making the income, and sometimes we're like, well, we can't spend money on that this month. And I was like, but I want McDonald's. <laughs> and I'm saying, is Christ enough? Is Christ enough to me in those moments? And he's crying out throughout all the Gospels, I am. I am. You'll never go hungry. You'll never thirst again. And that may not mean there'll be days where you have to eat a little bit and you're not full. But in that moment, look to me for your satisfaction. I'm the bread of life. And so we're actually going to read John's account of the Last Supper. So if you want to turn with me to John 15. Let me know when you get there. tricked you guys. There is no account in John about the Last Supper. Uh, he's the only one to leave it out, which is odd, because he's the only one to include that, those section of verses about Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. So I always found that interesting as I was studying, because Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke just spring it on you. So to a Jewish person trying to convert to Christianity that day, that will still be offensive to them. John does the reverse. He includes those really offensive words from Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and then just leaves out the Lord's Supper. But what we have there so you actually line up the time period, and you can see where they were at in John to where they were at in the other Gospels, and you can, like, he includes, like, half the conversations on that last night with Jesus that the other people leave out. And so we get this, and I, I'm not being, like, certain about this, but I'm pretty sure that when he goes into the chapter 15, John, this is at that table. It makes sense with what happens after. It makes sense with what Jesus is saying. He's already washed their feet. He, said, Peter, you're going to deny me. That's all in that last night with Jesus. And so we get to this. So let's read John 15 together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides to the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him is he that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. It's so on this night where he knows he's going to the cross. He's saying, guys, this is still just all about abiding in me. I think we forget where it's called communion. I don't know why we named it communion. I, like, Googled it yesterday because I'm so used to this. Hey, we're taking communion. And, like, you can't see it. We used to be the Eucharist in some places, the Lord's Supper in the Bible. But communion, what does that mean? You commune. Like, we've named it this just for this moment, but it's to remind us that we need to commune with God. And so when he's saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches, no life comes apart from me, we can try to connect to the Super Bowl Jesus. We can try to connect to our political party. We can try to connect to whatever, our leaders. We can try to connect to our expectations of him. You're just going to die. And he's saying, cling to me because I'm the true vine, the only thing that brings life, the only thing that brings life. And that's what communion is today. When we, worship team, if you want to come up, we're going to go into a time of communion. And so I want us to focus in remembering who Christ is, not some box we've put in him, not some past experience that we've defined Jesus with. Thanks, Kenny. <laughs> but, <laughs> but today, when we take that bread, we're not just declaring that he died on the cross, which is, yes, great. He made the way for a relationship with him on that cross. Before, like I said, it was temple. Now it's table. Now it's relationship. I love that aspect. But we also have to remember who Jesus is and what he came to do. So when we come up against those hard times, when everything seems failing around us, we still turn to him and say, God, you're so good. You're so, so good to me. I've tasted and I've seen that you are good, no, regardless of what I'm going through right now. So they're going to go into worship song. I'll let them tune. Uh, but today, as we, as we take the bread and we drink the grape juice, I'm going to call it wine from now on, even though it's not wine. It just sounds cooler. Grape wine. Okay, bread and wine. We're declaring the truths we know about Jesus, not the truths that our expectations or our, our systems have. We try to fit them in and say, but I know this about Jesus. He's life, he's love, he's forgiveness, he's healing, he's joy, he's our hope, he's our peace. And that list could go on forever. And yet, when things fail, we just scratch it all out and say, that's not you, Jesus. So I encourage you today to stand up. Uh, They're going to go into worship. The elements will be provided. And then you guys actually, we're not going to like pause the service and read this again, uh, read the account again. But I encourage you in your own time as you come up Get the elements, worship, and say, God, what boxes have I put you in? What systems have I tried to like squeeze you into uh, to fit you into something, my mindset? God, I want to know you. Communion is about communing with you. I want to abide in you so that when everything else fails, I can still cling to the vine that brings me life. I can still be part of the vine that bears fruit in me. So I encourage you to come up, grab it, and then in your own moment, and during the song, or right when you get it, Take the bread and the wine and just partake in it and just declare the truth of Jesus of your life, that he is the bread of life. Because of what he did, we now can live forever. Forever. Even though our bodies are temporal, our spirits are forever, and we'll be with him forever. And that's the craziest thing. He risked everything on the message that he's all we need. 
we got to start risking our lives knowing that about him. we got to start deconstructing the boxes we build about him and say, you know what, Jesus, you are worth it. Even if I lose everything, you're worth it. So I encourage you guys to come together or come up and take it and then pray about it or just take it right there at the time. But this is his body broken for you to restore relationship to himself. And this is the bread of life that when everything else fails, we still have him and that's enough. And this is the blood of the new covenant, which is a whole other sermon in itself that we no longer have to work for anything. I love in there, in that vine verse, he says, you guys are already clean. That's good news. We so many times let shame and fear define who we are. We box ourselves in and God's saying you're clean. This is the blood of the new covenant. You don't have to work for anything anymore. His grace is in that blood. And so when you take that today, declare that over yourself as well. Uh, but if you need healing today, healing is available when you take this. It doesn't have to be some prayer thing. You can go, okay, God, I believe you're the bread of life. Even though I haven't seen healing yet, I cling to you and know you're still good. And pray for healing. Chad's stomach stopped hurting. I've seen, I've seen broken arms healed. I've seen people's belly buttons turn back after a surgery because a scar brought it over here. I've seen that up front, close, personal with my own eyes. I'm declaring that God still heals, even though my family is dealing with the worst possible cancer ever. We're declaring that God is still good today when we take that bread and say, you know what, Jesus, even if they pass away, they know you and they have eternal life, but you are still good today. So come forward, take the elements.